Hello and welcome to Well It Depends, a podcast exploring the grey areas of health, fitness and life. I am your host, Charlie Beestone. I'm a qualified nutritionist and performance coach who works with everyone from elite athletes and CEOs to recreational gym goers and the general population. Well, it depends is the title of this podcast as it's probably the three words that I say most often when asked a question. Because more often than not, the answer is, well, it depends. The aim of this podcast is to try and resist the urge to oversimplify complex topics and to dive deeper to help you, the listener, improve your understanding at a less superficial level. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I hope that it challenges you to reappraise your tightly held beliefs, that you remain open to alternative perspectives and that you deepen your understanding of the subjects discussed, even if you already have some knowledge of the topic. As basketball coach John Wooden once said, it's what you learn after you know all that counts. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Lovely. The creepy woman has confirmed that we are recorded. Um, right, so here for a chat on supplements, which a few people have asked for, actually. Do you want to tell us who you are and why we should listen to you first and foremost? <laughs> um, because everything I say is right. No, uh, absolutely not. <laughs> for sure. Um, so I am a, um, a sports nutritionist. Uh, so I, my focus is mainly on strength power sports. Um I also like doing crazy endurance sport nutrition as well because I think that's fun. Um, but yeah, predominantly strength power sports and weight making sports. Um, so I work with everyone from recreational athletes through to kind of your pro and elite athletes. Um, and then I'm also a lecturer and researcher in sport and exercise nutrition. Um, research is more in exercise physiology, but that whole realm. Um, that's the foundation of why we eat. Uh, so yeah, so um, hopefully I know a little bit about what I um, what I do. Nice, yeah. No, it's not so much like it. There's much more that I don't know than I do. <laughs> What's your background more like biology based? Yeah, so I used to. Um, so I am a cell cell molecular biologist by trade. Um, so my PhD was uh, looking at the mechanisms of growth um, at the le- at the cellular level. So it was looking at all the signaling pathways that drive the addition of mass and volume, um, which was kind of how I got, well, which was how I then got into sports because my interest was in, um, pushing the cells to the extreme and how did they respond? And obviously a very physiological and natural, um, uh, sort of example of pushing the body to the extreme is, is sport. And so it's then, okay, well, how do we, how do we optimize the response we get from that? Um, so yeah, obviously I do love working with whole humans and that's why I kind of transitioned to working with whole humans. But actually my my interest is mainly kind of what happens at the cellular level in that kind of response. Um, and yeah, just from a scientific interest, how do we make it the best response possible? I think you've made the wrong move. I think cells talk back less. If I had the choice now, I'd probably just have with cells more. You get less shit from cells. It's 50-50. At first when I did cells, I was like, they're so finicky, I want to work with whole humans. And then yeah. I was like, research with humans. I was like, oh. You're the same. No. Yeah, these these this is this is really hard. <laughs> do what I say? <laughs> um, why is it one so different? Uh, no. Yeah, no, it's so when you say like cells under challenge, did you do other types of challenge other than like exercise stress? Like, were you um, looking? We actually didn't do exercise stress at all. Oh, okay. It was mainly um, overfeeding and starvation situation. Um, but at the cellular level, but the signaling pathways um, that I was looking at. So one of the 
major signaling pathways and if anyone's geeky about hypertrophy they will definitely have looked at this but like the mTOR signaling pathway was kind of my main focus and then a lot of the work that's been done on that has been done in muscle cells and muscle physiology and it's central we we look at it in terms of muscle growth so that was how I then kind of got into muscle from there because I wasn't looking in muscle or anything like that um I was looking in um yeah very different cell model but um yeah from there got interested in muscle Nice. Yeah, because I guess people don't think about the different types of stress that you can put under the body and cells as well. So like things like hypoxia and stuff like that, which I studied that people don't really think about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, and it's kind of, it's one of those situations where it's, okay, well, where's um, a, a stress positive and negative? Um, because exercise is just a stress on the body. Like the body's not getting fitter, faster, stronger because... It's like, oh, they did some exercise. I'll reward them by getting fitter, yeah. faster, stronger. Um, getting fitter, faster, stronger is a stress response. Like you put your body under stress in exercise and your body goes, well, that really hurt. I'm going to change so it doesn't hurt and cause me as much damage the next time around. Like it's not, it is positive from a health perspective because it builds a more robust body, assuming you do recover effectively. Um, but it's not like the body um, kind of doing you a favor as a result of you 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 causing it to exercise. It's a, It's a stress response. Yeah, it's devastating, isn't it, that you can't just sit in your comfort zone and improve oh, yeah. in, in any facet of life, not just... And be like, no, I'm jacked and successful, yeah. rich. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Devastating. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about supplements. I guess the first really obvious question is, what would you consider supplements to be? Um, yeah, there's, there are some grey gray areas uh, because... So a supplement is, by definition, something you add to on top of something else. Um, so if we're talking about um, supplements in a uh, in a sporting context, um, it is something you add to your habitual diet in order to create an outcome. Um, now you can have health-based supplements. Um, so supplements that are designed to support the, the functioning of your body, which by default is going to help your sport um, because the first principle of sports nutrition is health because if you're sick and injured you're not really going to perform to your max in training and therefore in competition um and then you've got um you've got sort of sports specific supplements um which may be ergogenic aids which is where they have a direct impact on performance um or they again may help you meet some dietary intakes that have a performance benefit when you can't get them from your, your habitual diet um but there is kind of a gray area because where is something a food substitute versus a supplement? So, for example, the most obvious examples of those might be protein powders or carbohydrate powders. Um, are they just a food substitute or are they a supplement? Mm. I think it depends in what context you use them. Um, you know, if you're putting, I don't know, carbohydrate powder on your cereal to add carbs, maybe it's maybe it's just a food substitute. If um, if you're taking it in the middle of a marathon it's a fuel and really an ergogenic aid because it's helping you acutely directly perform to a to a higher intensity for longer in your race yeah no absolutely and i think that's one thing that's difficult in the world of sport is like, can someone take this because it's like as an athlete for people that are listening that don't know we have to make sure that supplements are batch tested like athletes can't just take anything because it can most supplements can contain anything because they're very badly regulated. Um, or, so, or nothing. Or, or nothing. <laughs> yeah. I guess nothing's the good outcome because at least... Well, yeah, true. Then it's just your money you're wasting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it's... 
it's difficult to regulate. Well, it's not difficult to regulate supplements. They're just not regulated. So if an athlete is taking something, whether it's a food stuff or whether it's a supplement, it's actually quite a difficult conversation. This is so things like uh, protein yogurts, for example. Yeah. We have to te- check the food labels, which generally aren't helpful in themselves. Yeah. Make a decision. So like sometimes it'll say like, oh, whey protein concentrate. And you'll go, well, actually that contains a supplement within the food. We can't have that. But then there was like milk powders and you go, ooh. <laughs> Where does this fall? Yeah, yeah exactly. well, what has the factory got in it? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's tricky. And I think as well, I, like just applying to the general population, um, I often hear, oh, yeah, but I'm not a drug tested athlete, so I can take whatever I like. I'm like, well, there's still a cost benefit there because if yeah. you're spending 50 quid a week on supplements, I'm going to chance it and say, if you put that 50 quid a week to a holiday or a sports massage, your performance is probably going to improve more. <laughs> um, like, uh, the supplements that work best are generally the cheapest ones. So, um, you know, uh, there's still a cost benefit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it's a financial cost, apart from the fact you could be putting anything in your body if you're buying poor quality stuff. But Yeah. And it's amazing how people will buy any supplement just because of what it says on the container of the supplement which is just not a good measure of whether something is good for you or not because although there are legalities around what they're allowed to put on supplement packages they're not going to say don't buy this it's shit yeah here they're going to say here are six studies that support it and then you're like yeah. that's a rat yeah exactly yeah, and whilst not, they have value yeah yeah that we work quite differently it may not be the same um yeah, and I think that's context as well. And I mean, I think we are getting somewhere from a dietary perspective in that people are, are starting to have a, a greater appreciation. And all this is, you know, it's no one's fault. It's, it's no. these aren't things we learn at school or, um, you know, things we rely on learning from social media. And we all know what, mm. and the media in general, which when we all know how biased and yeah. that that's going to be to serve someone's particular aim, even if it is buying more of the magazine or whatever it is. Um, so it's no one's fault, but I think we are l- thankfully moving to a place where people are recognizing that, that one size doesn't fit all for diet and mm. that you know, just because it works for Joe Bloggs, it doesn't necessarily work for me. And I think I think we've still got a long way to go in the supplement space with that. Um, yeah. So sees a supplement and sees that it can have a certain effect and therefore assume that it will have that effect for them. Um, and that is very, very much not the case, either because that effect is so small and it requires you to have a, an optimized diet first. Um, so if your diet is crap, um, the, the outcome from the supplement is you're sticking a Band-Aid on something that needs like 25 stitches, yeah. uh, not really going to do much. Um, or yes, it works for person X, Y, Z, but it's because they're well-trained or they're completely untrained and you are, you know, you are fall into one or the other. So it may or may, or may not work for you. Um, so it is you've got to think more beyond what can it do Uh, you've got to think well what can it do for me and what's the cost of taking it yeah absolutely and I think that's one of the difficult things is there's so much information out there that people don't know and like we can't expect them to know I think there has to be a base level of like critical thinking if you go into Holland and Barrett and say I've heard this is good for this I really struggle with it should I take it and it's a 17 year old there with a weekend job who's got no qualification and they say yes I think that would be great for that then if it doesn't work, you've probably only got yourself to blame. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a difficult area because, and quite a few people have asked me to come on and speak about supplements because people just don't know. Um, yeah. I guess one thing before we come on to certain supplements that I always, I sort of thought back years ago, and I know, I'm pretty sure I've seen you post about this more recently, um, 
is like the sports nutrition world specifically is very much like, oh, we're food first. But it was like food first was bastardized to mean never supplements. Yeah. And I just don't think, I never thought that that's the case. And I used to hate the phrase and refuse to use the phrase food first because of what I thought other people perceived it meant. Yeah. Yeah. And it is true. And it's, um, you know, food first, not not food only, but that doesn't mean food only. Um, and there, there was the pay. I think the actual title of that paper was "Food First, Not Food Only" mm. last year. But um, I think uh, it did that off me. Is it growing close? I... Growing close, yeah. You know, it was growing, growing so. But they like they defined six, six type, six kind of conditions where a supplement would be appropriate. Which were I'm not going to remember all six of them now. Um, uh, but it was you know, you can't, you physically can't get it from your diet, and it's needed for health. Be that. For example, you live in the Northern Hemisphere between October and March, vitamin D, you don't see the sun, um, or not at the right height anyway. And, you know, the preference, you do not like oily fish, mm-hmm. you like the EPA and DHA, the key omega-3s anywhere else, or um, you can get it from your diet, but not in sufficient quantities for what you need. Um, there's a toxicity issue. Um, so, for example, that might be... Um, or a hazard issue, like if you're a drug tested athlete, eating meat in certain countries comes with a risk of taking, like having too high level or having clenbuterol in it and therefore in your system. So you need to have protein powders or whatever it might be. Um, and the other two were again, related to health markers and travel and, and accessibility. So, you know, yes, I might like to sit down and have eggs on toast for breakfast, but when I'm running between the swimming pool and taking my kids to school and then getting to work, yeah. protein powder and carbohydrate powder it is because i need the calories more than i need anything else um so yeah it's definitely not a case of um not having supplements in a situation where they they do have a net benefit but it's recognizing the both it, it's having sufficient knowledge to make an informed choice about whether it does have a net benefit because you know all the costs and you know all the benefits yes absolutely. anyway yeah, no, hundred percent. I completely agree with that. Um, I think the the clenbuterol one's funny because obviously there's a very high profile boxing case where Alvarez was like, "Oh, it's the meat." Uh, whether I don't know, so he got banned in the end. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's it's such a difficult one. I think, unfortunately, I might have a slightly controversial view on steroids as well in general. Um, when someone's mm-hmm. been about steroids, but um. You're gonna to have to share that now. You said whether it's well, yeah, no, and I have to. I, I don't think it's, it's an easy answer, but um, I, you know, if someone's got a banned sus- substance in their system at levels that mean it can have a performance-enhancing effect, mm. don't get me wrong. If they've taken it accidentally, it absolutely sucks for them. Um, super, super sucks. But unfortunately, if we're taking it down to pure performance, if it's going to give them a potentially unfair advantage over their competitors, they can't compete. Yeah. I completely agree. I think uh, actually they've got it. They've got it right. Like the yeah. a reduced sentence if we think you've not intentionally cheated yeah. and get a year ban rather than a four year ban, for example. I guess one of the difficult things, which I don't think spoke about that often, is if you're taking a banned substance that has a sort of chronic allows for chronic change. Right. Yeah, yeah. Then it's very different to taking something that's short term, like EPO. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This is my challenge with steroids. Um, again, like on a personal level, I feel super sorry for athletes if they realize they made a mistake and um, they, they, you know, they, they want to serve their ban and come back. On a physiological level, 
if you have taken sufficient dose of steroids for a sufficient period of time, there is increasing research around the persistence of changes in your muscle supporting strength and hypertrophy. Yeah. Um, and therefore performance if you are in a strength power sport or even if you're in a sprinting sport, like really for your legs. Um, obviously the upper body, not really going to do much but slow you down, but well yeah. to a degree. Um, and the problem is if someone has a performance advantage for life as a result of what they've done, is it fair that they're allowed to compete against people who do not have that performance advantage? Um, so I, I do struggle with people coming back and competing after four years, yeah. uh, having taken steroids, just because I think we've still got a performance advantage, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't have enough knowledge to force you to do less training so that you will remove that advantage or whatever it may be. And um, yeah, so I, 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 I struggle with that. Um, on a personal level, I feel super sorry for them. Um, but unfortunately, like on a scientific physiological level, you've changed your body for life. So it's, it's not build, fair it? against your competitors. And actually, I think the biggest concern is like a lot of the questions we'd have about it, we don't know. And I had uh, I had um, Han Newman on the podcast talking about uh, transport not long ago. Yeah. And people speak with such certainty around topics around sort of like endocrinology in sport and like adaptation sport and things like steroids. I just don't think we have that many answers actually. So for people to be so certain about, like you said, oh, after this many years that we fight, I don't think we've got that evidence. And I don't think we'll have that for at least decades. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it's super hard. They were, we were around uh, at the uh, ISING. Um, the sport and exercise nutrition conference before Christmas, there was a whole section on um, yeah gender and and um, sort of performance impacts and physiology and yeah it was really interesting as much for like the the questions that remain outstanding um, as 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 what we know. Um, but yeah, when it comes to yeah when it comes to steroids, it, it's difficult. Um, I think yeah there are a couple of good papers out last year showing kind of longer term effects but obviously it's also it's a very hard thing to study because you don't yeah. get many people opening being like yeah I take steroids come test me uh, yeah. because uh, that's kind of counterproductive and I do get as well people are like yeah but these are just the guys that get caught what about like what about the people who are still competing who haven't been caught and you're like well you can't unfortunately you you can't say oh yeah come back because everyone else is doing it anyway we just haven't caught them like yeah. that's that that's not also not a satisfactory answer no you have to start uh, from a place of assuming that you've got a clean sport. Maybe. Yeah. And, you know, in sports that where testing isn't sufficient, and there are a lot of sports where testing is not sufficient, um, uh, then, you know, that's the issue that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Um, and in sports that have got issues, they need to upregulate their testing, which I have not seen evidence of in quite a few sports, um, but it, no matter what they say, um, in order to eliminate those, those risks or reduce those risks. I think that's true in a lot of sports and even some of the ma the more mainstream sports where people would have assumed they've got it figured out by now. And some of the team sports, the testing is sporadic and very focused around the match day squad rather yeah. than everyone else. Injured athletes who may well benefit most from. Yeah. And ironically, I think one of the most well-tested sports is Formula One. Yeah. And of all the sports to be tested, there are very few supplements that were given Formula One driver yeah bad substances at advantage they're not going to take steroids because being heavy is bad yeah like they're not going to take epo because they really don't want to be trying to take in more oxygen than they already are like no it's, i guess it's going to be like with cbd with cannabinoids it would be a terrible idea like 
be looking at like the American like study drugs. Yeah. Anything just for pure cognitive benefit of going around that often. But yeah, no, that that is true actually. But um, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a pretty... the model they're testing on them. Yeah, it's a strange sport by sport thing, isn't it? As much as we have like yeah. good bodies for, across all the sports, I don't think we've got continuity across all the sports in terms of how it's. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I guess the last thing with supplements before we come on to certain supplements, which I've said a minute ago, and it's still <laughs> yeah, under there sometime. But that, that's just how I work. Um, yeah. uh, obviously, the placebo effect, like the amount of people we've had who say, "Oh, actually, I took this and it really worked for me," and what they actually mean is, I've taken this and I've had an improvement in an outcome that I wanted to take it for, and not see that that they don't necessarily relate sometimes. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, I was literally just lecturing on this. Um, yeah, and again, the placebo effect. And so there is an argument. Well, if I'm getting a placebo effect, yeah. I might as well be taking a supplement. And you're like, you know, sure, that is a benefit. That's on the benefit side of the equation because it yeah. doesn't really matter if it's giving if it's giving you a performance improvement. It's giving you a performance improvement. Yeah. But obviously, you've got to give it in the context of yeah. But still, what are the risks? Mm. Um, so again, for example. Um, well, for say for for elite athletes in competition, CBD may be giving them a placebo effect, thinking of better sleep or reduced pain. That's not going to outweigh the risk of the fact that it's very hard to get pure CBD, and you you, you run a high risk of um of having a banned substance and being banned. It's probably, you know, you should probably just recognise that based on the evidence we currently have it is seems to be more likely that it's a placebo effect based on current evidence that may change over time as we get more studies etc cetera, etc cetera. but um but you know um for joe blogs yeah maybe that works <laughs> yeah, yeah i think the ethics of it is really interesting like if we know something doesn't work but still recommend it so i know there's a a couple of examples from like medicine rather than from supplements yeah it's like uh, painkillers that are bigger and different colours and um, uh, branded rather than unbranded work better. Yeah. So you shouldn't charge more for that because it's the same stuff as the supermarket one. Yeah, but it works better. better. Yeah. So should we be able to charge more for it? If we exactly. charge more for it, that on its own probably means it, w- it works better. But, yeah, and then you're like, well, yeah, sure, it doesn't have a pain receptor physiological response, but it's having a physiological response yeah. to a psychological yeah. response. And what do you think our brains are? Physiology. <laughs> like, you know, I know. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's also... Um, the more you believe something's going to work, the the more it does. So, for example, uh, steroid placebos have a much larger um, effect than caffeine placebos. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so it's super interesting. Yeah, and we actually see changes in terms of like how the brain's working when people placebo yeah. as well. So, like, you'll get an increase in like prefrontal cortex activation. A reduction. Yeah. If you tell someone that something's going to have an effect on their pain, reduction in the hypothalamus, like, yeah, really interesting. That again, you can say, well, actually, it doesn't work on the mechanism that we think it should. Yeah, but it's yeah, working. it's working. It's still causing a change. Um, so yeah, so so it is an interesting one. And obviously, like I say, if it's something that's completely inert, like well, not completely inert, but something yeah. that's relatively safe, like caffeine, sure, who cares? Um, you know, one instant coffee before your workout doesn't actually have a physiological effect, but if you believe it does, it will yeah. have it for caffeine. The placebo effect is the same size as the actual physiological effect, mm. uh, which is why you see that effect. So, like, yeah, go for it. But yeah, if you're taking some sort of experimental drug where we don't know the consequences, probably probably not a good idea to you yeah, know, but... leave another placebo effect. <laughs> but, yeah. I think the caffeine one's interesting actually because 
there's obviously you've just given a really good example of where someone has an instant coffee and they're like well i feel great when i train then if i don't if i don't have it and that's probably more belief than anything else yeah there might be an element of you know pre-sleep where people say oh i can't like caffeine before bed is bad and instant coffee's not that much caffeine yeah. So if you have it before bed, is it going to massively disrupt your sleep? Yeah, I don't know, actually. Yeah, I don't know. Will it be I don't know how little or much you need. I know it's var- no, no. individually variable, yeah. but I don't know what the kind of like the pretty much universal lower no. threshold would be. And I imagine the public, there isn't one. But yeah. I wonder if it is influenced by people's beliefs of whether they sleep on no. caffeine. I reckon it is. To yeah. Sorry, a bit if, lower level. You know the half-life is eight hours, say, for example. Yeah. Like, 30 milligrams by the time that you're waking up again is not... Like, even if you had it just before bed, that's not a load of, like, a load of caffeine. No, unless you're a really tiny human. Yeah, or, like, super sensitive to it, in which yeah. case we're trying to fall bed anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. It's not going to be that much more than the chocolate bar. No, exactly, yeah. So, I mean, like, a double double espresso before bed, probably not a great idea. Cause it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't down your energy drink just before you try no. it. That'd be stupid. <laughs> but that's like, yeah, that's kind of like what's five, six times the amount of caffeine. Yeah, exactly. But I think instant coffee is more interesting because it is a relatively low dose. Yeah. Whether how much then beliefs around will I sleep fine after coffee? And everyone says, oh, no, you don't. Your sleep quality is bad. I wonder if it's not. Yeah. And but it just depends on, yeah, it depends on you and on. Yeah, that'd be interesting, actually. Mm. There's some study for you. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, we could do a separate one on just on caffeine because I think it's so interesting. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess when we come on to supplements that you tend to recommend very frequently, what would you, is there like a short list of things that you recommend for nearly everyone? Um, so I would say for the probably the, the general, mm. the, the ones that I would recommend for most people would, there would be three. Um, Vitamin D3, mm-hmm. uh, because as I said, at least between October and March and in the summer months, if you're not exposing most of your skin to safe sunlight exposure for sort of, you know, a good 30 to 45 minutes a day or whatever it is, um, then take vitamin D3 because you won't be synthesizing enough in your skin, um, which is where we make vitamin D in, re- in response to, to, to certain sunlight mm-hmm. um, to support health. Um, so that's kind of a universal um, similarly, um, omega threes, um, so specifically EPA and DHA, not ALA. Um, if you don't have oily fish in your diet, um, sort of say three times a week, then I would recommend taking an omega three supplement, a microalgae derived one. If you're vegan, um, or don't want to take fish derived products in general, um, or oily fish derived, um, uh, EPA and DHA so I'd recommend taking that year round um, and again that's um, that does ha- have some beneficial effects directly as it relates to exercise recovery and things but but more so from the health perspective because it's an essential fatty acid you can't make it we need it the only way to get it is for eating it um, so they would be the two that probably span more on a health spectrum um, and then well, I guess this one does span health too but uh, and then most people creatine um unless you have a specific pathological condition where you shouldn't be taking it because you you have kidney or liver issues. Um, but creatine monohydrate because um, cognitive function, strength, hypertrophy, injury, prehab, rehab, uh, brain injury, prehab, rehab, um, there is 
growing evidence on the brain side of things, robust evidence on the the muscle uh, the muscle side of things um, and soft tissue side of things. Um, so it's with, with no recorded adverse effects in healthy individuals. Um, so why wouldn't you? And it's really cheap. Yeah. Uh, the cost of it is is very small financially. There are no reported adverse effects and the potential positive effects are high for everyone. Um, there will be some people who are better responders than others, um, in part because uh, we do make creatine in the body. Some people are likely to make more than others. Um, people that don't make that much, either because they don't have the things in their diet to make it or just they just don't are going to respond better, uh, more effectively. But it certainly doesn't seem like, at least with what we know at the moment, it's going to have a negative effect for, for anyone. So go for it. And you can't get enough from food. Um, you'll get some from eating animal muscle because that's where it is. Um, or animal brain, I guess, because that's also where it is. Um, but <laughs> not enough to saturate saturate kind of your muscles at least. So yeah, go for it with the creatine monohydrate. Um, they would probably be my three that would be my generally universal um you know if you are in a high intensity sport probably can't go wrong with beta alanine um if what limits your performance is the fact your working limbs burn up um sort of very very quickly and you have a good aerobic capacity um if your limbs burn up really really quickly with acid um but your aerobic capacity is dog shite work on your aerobic capacity before taking beta alanine uh, and that is going to give you a bigger performance advantage but you know depending what the you know if, if if actually everything else is great and you just need to be able to push harder for longer and the limitations to that is the fact that you get huge acid buildup um then beta alanine is a buffer that can that can help by reducing the acid accumulation um but they would probably be my four general ones that i would i would say to people yeah, no, I think the first three are ones that I recommend to everyone, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I guess the the fourth one that I might consider is, would you probably don't consider a supplement? And that's why we've not said it, or it's not for everyone is protein powder. Yeah, yeah, if someone's, if, if it's an easy, convenient way for yeah. someone to get enough protein. It's the same uh, with me, isn't it, really? Like, if you're yeah. not getting enough from your diet, then take this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I will always say it shouldn't form more than probably 30% of your protein and um, less if you're if you're a really small human, more if you're a big human. And that's again, it's not because it's bad. It's just because if you had only protein powder, you'd miss out on all the other nutrients that whole proteins give. But at the same time, if it's going to be a case of I have no protein today, or I have just protein powder, yeah, I have protein powder. Hundred percent. As a bigger person, protein powder is most essential for me because it's just expensive to eat that much yeah. and time consuming to cook that much food yeah. it places itself as a nutritionist like to constantly hit protein targets for hypertrophy for example it's really hard with yeah. if i don't use a supplement somewhere i guess the thing for some people as well is a lot of them are highly sweetened which can cause some gi issues for people that do eat a large amount of protein-based products whether that is powders or bars or anything like that yeah whatever it might be yeah yeah no i agree like i i i probably have more protein supplements that i than i would recommend to most of my clients but <laughs> yeah. a i'm not the one who's wanting to have the most optimal diet um but yeah. also i have a really high protein diet mm. at the moment i i i, I personally need feel best on a very high protein diet my body responds best best on a really high protein diet so for me to get 200 grams of protein a day 
Mm-hmm. I, uh, it's, uh, I, I need to, I, I, it's just, yeah. Yeah. And also, protein products now are much better. So like, yeah. protein bars, I think are shit. A lot of them yeah. are. But, some of the protein stuff you get from like an Aldi, it's brilliant. That yeah, like, the great. Yogurts and things like that. Yeah. Great. Yeah, like all the high protein yogurts are, yeah, I really yeah. like them, like the high protein puddings and stuff. Um, because as well, they're mostly, they're mostly whey and milk. Mm. Um, and even like, so for example, um, two companies that do protein milkshakes that I think are high quality are Bear Bells and Grenade. Yeah. Um, because their protein shakes are predominantly milk and with added milk protein concentrate. Um and they aren't don't have the same sweetness and things that their bars do, which are what cause a lot of people to have a GI distress. And they don't have, um, uh, because obviously uh, the bars have pretty poor quality fat, so that they are a bar. Yeah. You don't have that in the drink. So I would always say, like you know, if you're going to use one of those things, go go for their shapes, um, because they are of higher nutritional value overall. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess if we look at the four or the three supplements we've mentioned, maybe the four. There was vitamin D3. So are there any particular recommendations you make for people in terms of taking it, where to get it from? Now, it's quite a robust one. Uh, you can just buy it off the shelf. Uh, uh, depending on who you are and how much you need, anywhere between sort of usually 1,000 to 2,000 um, international units, which will be on the side of the packet a day. Keep it in the cupboard. I mean, you know, don't put it right next to the cooker because that's probably not going to be good for anything in a plastic bottle. Um, but like, um, but yeah, or in the cupboard it'll be fine they, they're pretty robust um omega-3s are different yes uh, i guess so creatine but always stay there it's the same oh uh, yeah creatine just go to creatine monohydrate don't like that doesn't matter stuff. not it's, it's still expensive now though aren't they um creatine not it's because the best quality stuff is Crea pure which is produced in germany so it's a lot more expensive post-brexit bloody hell more variable so that's why it's gone up so much no one talked about the gains during brexit during that whole referendum but yeah so creatine monohydrate don't get any of the fancy stuff no evidence to prove it's any better some of them are way worse at being absorbed um yeah no 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 real reason to to get anything fancy um then yeah so those two just bog standard whatever you yeah. find on the shelf obviously if you are in a drug tested sport buy a, an informed sports product or equivalent um, because it's not worth the risk, particularly with creatine. Um, but then, yeah, then omega-3 is entirely different. Um, there is more, in my in my view, there are more poor quality omega-3 supplements out there than, than yeah. high quality supplements. Um, so the thing with omega-3 is both its purification and how much EPA and DHA it contains. So always specifically look on the side. Don't just say that it says 1,000 mg of, of, of omega-3. Who cares? Um, read the side for exactly how much EPA and DHA it has. You're usually looking for 250 to 500 mg of EPA plus DHA for a generally sort of like day-to-day. Mm-hmm. In an injury scenario, you want higher, but that's separate. Yeah. Um, store them in the fridge because they need to be in the cool and the dark. Otherwise, they're at higher risk of degradation um, with exposure to light and dark, uh, with exposure to light and heat. Um, by that estimation, don't buy anything off the shelf in a supermarket that's in a 
a, a, a tub that you can see into or actually don't buy anything from the supermarket. I was going to say because you're a good quality one. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're generally poor quality. Uh, they had, which means poor quality means they've got had high risk of degradation, um, either from the way they were processed in the first place or from the heat and light. If they degrade, they degrade into the kind of fatty acid that you don't really want to be putting in your body. Um, so yeah, avoid those. Go for. Um, I actually generally say to most people, just as a rough rule of thumb, get an informed sport product because mm. pretty much all the informed sport products are actually high quality, both in their processing. You have to yeah. order it online. It's it's going to be stored in a cool dark warehouse. Yeah, it's transported to you pretty quickly. You put it straight in the fridge. Um, so that tends to be my rule of thumb for people because things like um, Optimum Nutrition do one that's informed sport tested, science in sport, health span, and all of those are, are yeah. high quality. Unfortunately, that is a supplement where the cheap stuff is just don't. Yeah. I guess a lot of the informed sport ones are dosed effectively because they are for sport. Yeah, exactly. Let's go back to dosages because the research is really mixed in terms of like depending on the outcome you want, the dosage you want. So I don't yeah. have like nailed on recommendations of this is exactly not in the way that we do for vitamin D. Maybe this is how much. You yeah, make. not at all. Not at all. And it's probably also because again, um, or at least I think it probably is as well. If you think about something like EPA and DHA, it's structural in the body. Mm. So really the effective dose probably does scale with body size. Yeah. But we don't, we've never looked at it in that context. No. Um, yeah. As well as obviously having then overlay of individual specific um, probably individual specific ability to convert ALA to EPA and DHA and how much ALA someone's got in their diet and um, how much they train and so how much they're actually using and I suspect there's quite probably quite a lot of factors going in there but yeah we just don't know um, yeah I guess so to summarize then we want 1000 2000 IU of vitamin D creatine monohydrate five grams a day probably I mean you can do it per kilo of your body weight if you wanted to uh, yeah, I normally do 0.1 grams per kilo yeah. body weight, just to be sure. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, five grams won't will will we'll, should have a benefit from every study that's you know been yeah. looked at. Um, and yeah, the, then the the EPA and DHA 250 to 500. Mm -hmm. uh, unless you're injured, when I would do five grams of DHA, mm -hmm. cool. which is a million tablets. That's the thing with creating. Don't buy tablets. I know. People... Oh God, no! You'll be bankrupt in like a week. <laughs> yeah. And also, you just be you spend most of your time eating tablets. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing with creating is people will talk about loading, and for most people, it's not necessary. Yeah. I don't think. Like you can. I, yeah, you you can. But when we're thinking about creatine as being a chronic supplement, so we're talking about effects over weeks, months, years. Whether you top out your muscle stores in five days because you're taking 20 grams a day or it takes you 14 days because you're having five grams a day. Yeah. Does what? Can you leave it for the 14? Yeah, unless you're making weight, then the manipulation of creatine loading yeah. never matters. Yeah. And from just from a habit formation perspective, just taking it once a day is going to be so much easier than, oh, I need yeah. to it four times a day and then now I don't. And to be fair, that's something I've changed my mind of. When I first started that nutrition, I probably did make people load because I was like, oh, quicker yeah. is better. But yeah, now I'm just like, yeah, just take it. Yeah, just start, just start. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>